Before I had decided to do officership, I had purchased a home. And I literally had only been in the house four months before deciding to officership. And I knew I would have to sell my house. And it was like, I love this house. It was my dream house. It literally had everything I ever wanted. And I remember kind of praying about it. And I remember hearing his God voice say, like, I will give you many houses. Let this go. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hanton, and we are continuing our series on grief, exploring all different types of the grieving process. And on this episode, I welcome Shatara Mabry. Shatara is from Waterloo, Iowa, and she is a recently accepted candidate to be an officer in the Salvation Army in the Central Territory. So I invite you to sit back and listen as Shatara shares her beautiful testimony of God's grace in her life and the journey of sacrifice that she's had to make along the way. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Shatara. Welcome, Shatara. Thank you. Hey, it's nice to be here. Yeah, we're glad you took some time for us today to join us on our Prepare podcast. I've met you for the very first time at the Heartland Women's Retreat a couple weeks ago. You were giving your testimony and the Lord literally was talking to me while you were talking. I was like, okay, okay, I need to have Shatara on our podcast. Okay, I'm hearing you, Lord. But it was very clear to me. I really just wanted to have you on and for you to share. But before we dive into all the deep stuff, I, we all want to know, I want to know more about you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now, where you're from, those kinds of things. Okay. Well, um, I was born in Mississippi, actually, Jackson, Mississippi. All of my family on my dad and my mom's side is from Mississippi. Our mom moved us to Milwaukee, Wisconsin when I was about four. So that's what I consider home. That's where I got all my education. So I went to school there, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in social work, and then I got my master's degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison back in 2012. Now, there was a little gap in between there. So um, once I went to undergrad and I finished, I actually moved down to Dallas, Texas with oh, wow. two of my sorority sisters. And then God definitely was very clear <laughs> that he wanted me to go back home. Yeah. <laughs> so when I came back to Wisconsin, I moved to Madison. So I've been in the social work field for 12 or 13 years now. I'm on a master level social worker for the state of Iowa. So that is my passion. I love social work. I love serving. I've loved it my whole entire life. But the career I wanted to do before social work was I actually wanted to build lowriders. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was like obsessed with like uh, lowrider cars. I wanted to build like the lowrider bicycles, like all of that. Until um, I learned you needed seven years of Spanish. And I was like, oh, my oh gosh. Yeah. Social work it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, my mom, my brother, and my sister, they are located in Wisconsin. Um, my sister just had a new child. I have three nieces by her. And then my brother has a daughter. So I and my best friend stays there. But I currently live in Waterloo. I'm the ministry intern at the Waterloo Cedar Falls Corps. So what brought you to Waterloo, Iowa? I actually came to Waterloo in 2016, and I literally only came here for a job. I didn't know anybody. And before that, I was working in Milwaukee at a nonprofit as a social worker, and I I was not happy at all. And I remember praying to God. I made a vision board, and I said, Lord, 
but I said I wanted to be a professor at a community college in a sociology department with an emphasis in social work, and I only wanted to be required to have a master's degree. Wow. So I looked on higher ed jobs, and I wanted the location to kind of be centralized amongst all of my nieces. And there was only one position, and it was a position I applied for. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and I knew once I left there, I'm like, this is mine. Yeah, this is it. Mm-hmm. So I was assistant professor at Hawkeye Community College in Iowa, and I taught social work and sociology courses. So that's what led me here. That's awesome. So you started out in, first you were born in the South, then you moved up North. How was that? Like, tell us a little bit about your backstory, your childhood, how you came up, what your home was like during all of that. So my dad is from West Mississippi. My mom is from Goodman. But our family mutually also stayed in Lexington and Durant, Mississippi. So very rural, small town areas. And it was very interesting because I always reflect on my diversity, equity, inclusion work and realize that like my upbringing really did shape you know, the way I look at issues like that, because when we stayed in Mississippi, we never really saw people outside of our kin, like outside of our family. I literally maybe only saw one white person my entire life and he owned the Bowling Green grocery store. And that's the only reason why we saw him. So it wasn't until my mom moved us to Wisconsin that it was like, who are all these other people? (laughs) And they're not related to us. (laughs) You know, so that was my upbringing, you know, super country really. And having kind of like that, everyone around you is family, but we were also raised on a lot of respect and deference. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't really call our family members by their name. We only really called them by their roles in our life. So respect a lot different uh, when we moved to Milwaukee. We were exposed to a lot. So from four to eight, we lived in Milwaukee and then our mom uprooted us to an area called West Bend, Wisconsin, Hmm. which was completely different. Milwaukee is very diverse. Uh, We lived in an area that was predominantly Latinx and African-American, and then on the other side, it was white. Wow. (laughs) I went to a very diverse school, and then when we went to West Bend, it was maybe five African-American families in the whole county. You know, so that was very different from us. Gratefully enough, I didn't really experience a lot of racism or anything like that. There might have been maybe one incident when I was in like elementary school. But other than that, you know, we were pretty well-rounded. I grew up in a single family home. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad was incarcerated, I would say, a good 90% of my life. So I didn't really see him. But he was in the household before we left Mississippi. Um, I do remember him staying with us before we moved. And my mom moved because... My dad and my mom had some domestic violence um, issues, and my mom felt like if she didn't leave Mississippi, one of them would either be dead or in jail. So I'm grateful that she did that. Yeah. But yeah, so single family home. And unfortunately, in that single family home, I was molested when I was eight years old. Oh, my goodness. And that kind of turned our household upside down. Mm. It was very traumatic simply because once it happened, um, unfortunately, my mom did not believe me. Somehow... She wanted me to say that, like, my dad told me to lie on her boyfriends, and that resulted in him actually getting out of jail and doing it again. And then he moved in with us and tried to do it again. 
So growing up in that type of environment, I was pretty much like the middle child, but also the second parent. You know, I have a younger sister on my mom's side and an older brother. And, you know, they were the ones who came to me for like lunch money or field trip money. So I cleaned the house. I cooked. I I did all of that. So I didn't really have like a childhood childhood. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of caused me to like rebel a little bit because I had all these adult responsibilities, but I didn't get an opportunity to even be a kid. You know, but I was always told to stay in a kid's place, but I was treated like an adult. (laughs) So it was was really frustrating. And our family was homeless, I would say, for about a year. We had lost our home to a house fire. Um, When it first happened, my uncle from Georgia came and got us, and we stayed in Georgia for a couple months, and then we came back to West Bend, stayed with my third grade librarian, until that didn't work out. (laughs) Oh, my word. In order to stay in West Bend, I had to find a place for me and my siblings to go. Like, I, I had an agreement with my uncle and my mom, like, if I can find us a place to go so we can stay here uh, where we know people, we have support, can that happen? And they agreed. So me and my sister stay with my best friend, Jade, and uh, we stay with her brother, his girlfriend, and their two kids. So me and my sister slept on a pull-out couch wow. <laughs> for a good portion of my first semester in um, high school. And then um, I found a place for my brother to stay with his best friend. So we we had our place. However, there was like a disorderly conduct thing that happened between my mom and my mom had to go to jail. And me and my brother had to go to detention center. My sister had to go into foster care until um, she was released. And then she relocated us back to Milwaukee. Once we got to Milwaukee, we were house hopping. We stayed with my mom's best friend for a little bit. And then we moved to my godfather's house, which was a one bedroom, two adults, three kids. And then finally, my mom was able to secure uh, an apartment for us. So that gave us a little bit of stability. So, and I, and I have realized that experiencing homelessness has impacted the way I look at money, attachments to relationships. I'm very quick to kind of just move on because we moved from house to house. It was never really understood like where we would possibly be that week or, you know, how long is this one going to last before we have to move? And we literally moved in, you know, black garbage bags, just like they talk about in like foster care. So that's literally what our life was for like that year, year and a half. So that was pretty much my childhood. Wow. You have been through so much. Like that is a lot, a lot on a young woman, a young girl. And you had to like step into those parent roles for your, your brother and your sister. Yes. Yep. Describe how that made you feel. Were were mm-hmm. you just like, okay, I'm on it. Like, this is it. We're doing this. Or were you freaking out? Like, what, what were you thinking? My mom told me when I was younger, I've always been like someone who always took the initiative or, you know, I've had a job since I was like in third grade. I got to do scorekeeping for like basketball and volleyball. And then I did that in middle school as well. Got paid like $10 a game. And it was really cool to be that young age because in volleyball, you have three games. And if you did each age group, it was like, it was, I thought I had a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) But I've always wanted to help provide for my family because my mom worked at least one or two jobs always at the same time. So in my mind, if I could help her with those things, then she could be more active in our lives, like come to volleyball games or come to sports. Cause I played volleyball, basketball. I ran track. Um, My mom was actually very strict. She wanted us to be athletes, but our main concern was she wanted the house to be taken care of and in order. So if anything got in the way of that, she was 
not having it. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit frustrating sometimes because I was, I felt like I was a pretty model kid. You know, mm-hmm. I was a straight A student. I played sports. I volunteered. So when she wouldn't let me do stuff, it was very frustrating. It's like, I literally have cleaned the whole house. I have done everything you want me to do, but she wouldn't let me really go outside and hang out with my friends. And I think that's just from living in Mississippi. That's how it is. You know, in African-American families, too, like going to spend a night over at people's homes that are not your family. That's just not something we do. (laughs) That's not something my mom was okay with. And then I also felt like I was always kind of in the middle. Mm. You know, everyone came to me for everything, but I never felt comfortable going to anybody else for anything. So um, consoling, same thing with my brother and my sister. If they had bad days, um, they would come talk to me about that. But again, in return, I didn't have anyone in my immediate household that I could then go talk to. So I held a lot of stress, a lot of depression during the trauma. I was diagnosed with bipolar and being child molested at a young age, my body went through things that I didn't really understand. I didn't know how to like control. So, you know, when I was in like middle school, I was very promiscuous. You know, there was this feeling inside of me. I didn't know necessarily how, like why it came about and what was happening to me, but I knew I had to do something about it. So I was kind of led into that path of being attracted to like older men and and things of that nature. And my mom was always out of the house. So I had no monitoring. I had no one to mentor me or counsel me as far as like, that's not okay behavior. That's not how a a young girl should behave. I was kind of out here figuring out on my own. Mm, Wow. So was church ever a part of your upbringing? Mm Mm-hmm. Me and my siblings, we have different dads. So my sister's dad, she's four years younger than me. That's why my mom moved to Milwaukee. She met him and his family is very heavy into church. Like his dad and mom were prominent members of their church. His dad baptized me and my brother. So we were going, I mean, Wednesday through Sunday Mm. faithfully. But then my sister's dad died. And there was like this detachment from that family. And yeah. I would say after he passed away, I might have went to church maybe no more than three times. Mm. And it was only because maybe a friend of mine invited me to church, but my mom didn't come. It was just me. Yeah, right. So very little exposure to church after we moved to West Bend and especially after my sister's dad passed away. Well, I mean, I there must have been some kind of seeds planted. You must have heard something even as a child. How did you come to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Well, before I got saved, I mean, I always felt there was a presence that was looking over me. That after I was molested, I went through periods of depression. And I also went through periods where I would intentionally put myself in harm's way because I didn't feel worthy of living. I didn't feel like Mm. if I continue to have to live this life, like what was the point? So I was early on, you know, experiencing suicide ideation and things of that nature. But I always felt like no matter what I did, or whatever entity was watching over me would not let it pass. It, it wouldn't happen. But it wasn't until I was an undergrad, I went to a church play. I was invited by one of my old high school classmates. And the church play was about like the seven sins in the church. So it was about how people in the church struggle with sin. Okay. And there was this pivotal moment in the play where 
all of these people went to a uh, choir practice. And as soon as they left a choir practice, they went to the club and they were partying, they were drinking. And from the play, like the sound in the background made it appear like the floor underneath them was opening up. And they were literally like, you hear the, the screaming and the gnashing of teeth. And it was like, oh my. And the illustration there is that they were falling, you know, into the pit of hell. Mm. And I just remember at that time I had just joined a sorority maybe the year before and prior to joining the sorority I wouldn't say I drank or did drugs or anything like that but we when I became a member we definitely partied like we definitely went out Wednesday Thursday Friday you know Saturday and if there was something special on Sunday we were for it yeah yeah and I saw that illustration of like partying and feeling like that was life, but it was never really fulfilling, still feeling this emptiness. And in that moment when they did the altar call, they described like this loving, forgiving father that would never leave you nor forsake you and just really want you to come to him and bear everything to him so he could capture those things and, and free you from that sin, free you from that depression, free you from that abandonment and whatever you're going through. And I was like, sign me up. Yeah. You know, so before I knew it, some of the homeless youth that I had took to the play, I pretty much took them to the play because I felt like they needed Jesus. You know, I don't know much about him, but from Mm -hmm. what I've heard, these kids need Jesus. They have nobody else. And I felt like in that moment, it was like, no, I was very spiritually homeless. I, I didn't have a home. I didn't have a spiritual father that could cover me, just like these kids in the physical realm. So I responded to the altar. I gave my life to Christ that day. And I remember going home. It was very emotional. I put a post on Facebook. And then I think by like two o'clock the next morning, I had no idea. Like, so what am I supposed to do now? Oh, right. Because right. <laughs> I didn't belong to that church. Um, there were other people who got saved that right. night. I didn't I didn't know any of them. I don't remember anyone saying like, hey, come back and let us help you figure out this faith walk. You know, I never even attended that church ever again. So I literally had a Bible from my sorority. So part of our sorority rituals, we always have a white Bible. And I was like, well, I have this. I know this has something to do with what I just did. So I just started reading. And that's how it started. (laughs) So you were literally on your own, Mm -hmm. figuring this whole thing out by yourself at first. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, you said a phrase, spiritually homeless. I That hit me just as you were talking. I think there are a lot of people out there that have felt like that. Like you said, you never went back to that church. You never had anyone follow up with you. So like you were kind of in that like church homelessness, I guess, after yeah. all of that. And so what happened? Like where did you go from there? You started reading your Bible, but... Where was the interpretation, you know, and the understanding and all of that? Like, walk us through. I feel like it came a little bit later. I recently preached my first sermon and I was telling people like, you know, I was that baby Christian where instead of trying to understand, like, how do I apply this into my life? Like, and I was trying to do that. But I started in the Old Testament. So it was very black and white. Oh, it was yeah. very legalistic. Mm-hmm. So I took everything very literal, you know, so when I'm going about in my day to day, whether it's at school with my family and friends, with my sorority sisters, when I would see them do something that was opposite of what 
the law said or what I was reading the Old Testament was like, ooh, you know, you call yourself a Christian and you're drinking, you're talking like that. Like, mm-mm. you know, I was really persecuting people. And in my mind, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was mm-hmm. just making sure they were living a godly Christ. And I was the law that was going to make sure that they were doing that. But not realizing that I was still kind of slipping into sin myself and not feeling any conviction about that. So it was more about convicting other people about what they were doing wrong, but not really using the word to understand what was present in my own life that should Mm -hmm. be different. So it wasn't until I relocated to Dallas, Texas after undergrad, I rededicated my life to Christ. I belonged to the Family Worship Church in Irving, Texas. And that was the first time where it was like somebody was like, you know, you just made this pivotal decision. Now, what are you going to do with it? So shortly after that, you know, I would go to events. So I found fellowship. Mm. Unfortunately, I didn't take my car down to Texas. And Irving is a little bit away from North Texas. So unless one of my sorority sisters went to that church with me, I couldn't go. But I would still walk however far I needed to to go to a church. Um, I stayed in often in North Dallas and I would pick a church and I would just walk to whatever church I needed to just to make sure I was staying engaged. So during that process, that January, though, my sorority sister went to family worship church and she would give me the material. It was the first time I ever fasted. It was the first time I ever even learned about fasting. And we fasted corporately for 40 days. And during that time period, We also had to do a spiritual gift test. Mm. And that was the first time it was revealed that, you know, your spiritual gift is teaching. And it was saying that, you know, some things you're going to do is you're going to be a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or a pastor. And it was like, no, (laughs) that's not. They must have got that wrong. (laughs) You know, I'm in social work. That's what I'm doing. That's what I came here for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just continued to read the word. I would go to Bible study and try to learn more about how to interpret it and how to apply it. Mm. And my faith walk in Texas was really good. It started to strengthen and I fell in love with like the word. Like I would read Mm. it all day long on the train, on the on the bus when I was walking. And it really impacted the way that I looked at the world around me and the people around me Mm -hmm. and how I handled situations. So So just continue to strengthen my walk and surround myself with people who could encourage me, but then also just having a very strong church home, you Mm -hmm. know? So when I relocated back to Madison, I belonged to Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. And that was the first time as an adult that I actually had like a church home, a steady church home. And then I got baptized shortly after that as well for the first time as an adult, but it wasn't at my home church. It just happened to be at another church and it was Pentecostal. I had went to a sorority event, once again, taking other people to an event, not expecting really anything to happen to me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me. I went up and in Pentecostal church, if you feel like you're ready, they will dip you that day. (laughs) Did not know that. And I was like, you said what? She was like, yeah, we can go downstairs right now. It was like, I have a change of clothes. She's like, you don't need a change of clothes. You're going to be changed. And it was like, oh, okay. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So, yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So lots of things. Lots. So you have such an amazing journey. Okay. So. Tell us then how you came to the Salvation Army, which is your job, but it's also your church now. So tell us how that happened. 
Yeah, so I moved to Waterloo back in 2016. And even when I moved here, it took me maybe seven to eight months like buying a church home. So I used to go to a church called Encounter Worship Center, and I had been going there for three years. But I felt like God was nudging me to kind of remind me, like, remember the population that I put on your heart. Mm. You know, so even when I was an undergrad, I enjoy and I have a, a passion for working with individuals who are experiencing homelessness because me and my family experienced it personally ourselves. And I've always had a, a strong interest in working with individuals who are adolescents, so 12 to 17, who are experiencing homelessness, but homeless population in general. So I reflected on that and I was like, okay, I, I know it's the homeless population. So I did a little bit of research on what churches in the area specifically service that population. And Salvation Army was the only one that came up. I didn't know it was a church at all. I always tell the majors, like, there's a Salvation Army. Like, literally, I walked by to go to high school every day and never even noticed it was a Salvation Army. I didn't know. I just knew they had a gym. You can go there for open gym. That's all I wow. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I thought it was just they help with the homeless. They have thrift stores. Because when I was in high school, we used to go volunteer at the Salvation Army and make cheese sandwiches. We would package them up and make a little lunch sack. Did not know this is a church. Like, cool. So when I... Did my research, found out about the officership program, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was just like any other seminary school because I started doing seminary school um, at Indiana Wesleyan University. So I'm like, cool, this is a win-win. This is a church and they have a college. I can just transfer my credits and then finish my, you know, ministry degree and I am golden. And when I reached out to the contact, they emailed me back like, yep you need to talk to your court officers there and they'll give you a little bit more detail because it's not quite like that. It was like, oh, well, what is it? (laughs) So, but when I did my research and Salvation Army came up, it was just a a easy decision. Like, well, I guess I will go to Salvation Army then. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because of COVID, it was really hard for me to connect that first month in January. So once I finally was able to attend the service, Major Shannon instantly told me about um, like women's ministry and Bible study. And I just started coming to those things. And shortly after attending services, me and Major Shannon went out for breakfast. She kind of explained the whole officership. It's a lifestyle. It's a full-time ministry. Mm. She was like, you know, pray about it, consider it. And I did. So I got involved as much as I can. I went to Bible studies on Tuesdays. I went to my first women's camp last year and just became more involved. As we got closer after women's camp, that's when I seriously started considering officership. So looking back on it, I feel like God kept me in Waterloo specifically for the Salvation Army because I've been here since 2016, but I've wanted to leave Waterloo since 2017. Wow. My goodness. (laughs) And I literally, and and everybody at my old job knows it, you know, everyone always felt like every summer I would leave and I would pray and fast every summer. Like, can you release me from this Mm. place now? Like I'm I'm ready to go. And it would always be a clear no. So I always promised myself since I left Milwaukee, I would only go where God wanted me to go. And I would stay there however long he felt I needed to be there, but I wouldn't leave unless I felt like he gave me permission to do so. Yeah. Wow. So you felt the call to be an officer in a very unusual way. Most Mm -hmm. people are sitting in a youth councils or at a women's retreat or at these big things and 
in the Salvation Army, we do that at these events. We we ask, we ask people, does anyone feel called? You know, and then people come on stage or they, you know, they have like this time where they talk about it. But you were like, okay, this is what I want to do. When I was teaching in college, I taught a class called Marriage and Family. And it was one of the funnest classes I've ever taught. But one thing I learned in teaching is that a lot of our young people are struggling. They go through some things. And I felt compelled to say, like, is this what God wants me to be doing? Does he want me mm-hmm. to just be teaching or how else can I help these young people in a more effective way? So um, I did what I always teach all of my students to do. I put down all of my interests and I prayed about those things. And then I start knocking on. I always say I, I knock on a lot of doors. So I started pursuing like you know, researching what would it look like if I was to be a mental health counselor or go back for pastoral counseling. And I remember that summer of 2018, I was asleep and I remember hearing God's voice tell me to wake up and let me tell you what your purpose is. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I sat up in bed and was like, so now what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm like, well, I can go to the word. God speaks through his word. And at that time I was reading um, a Bible plan and my next book was the book of Ezra and the book of um, Nehemiah. So after reading those two things, I felt it was very clear that God wanted me to pursue religious studies. So I Googled that immediate area, and that's how I ended up at Indiana Wesleyan University. And then I feel like the year after that, in 2019, I'd also put it on my heart to be interested in what's going on in the world around me. And I read a book. The author is David Platt. And it was about pretty much the Great Commission and that as Christians, we're all commissioned to go out into the world to preach the good news. And that's when I started getting involved in this idea of missionary work. So I applied for a program called the World Race. The World Race is an 11-month missionary um, program. And essentially, you go to 11 different countries in 11 different months and you evangelize. Well, because of COVID, they had localized it to the United States. So you go to 20, 30 states and you evangelize with a group of people. So as of 2020, that's what I was supposed to be doing. I got accepted to that program and I was all for it. But something told me like, you really need to check in with the Lord again. And I sent out a fleece and it did not return. And in my mind, it was like, okay, God said no to that. And just in case I doubted, two days later, they called me and said the program was canceled. So I feel like God prompted me back in 2018 that he wanted me to do something, you know. So when I came to be a part of the Salvation Army, I went through my soldier classes, became a soldier. It was apparent that everything that God had been doing since 2018 was preparing me for this. Mm. In 2019, that's when I was really serious about leaving Waterloo. Like I had it, I was done. I wrote my letter of resignation. I was ready to move to Madison and go start another job. But I fasted and prayed. And I remember when I was meditating, I saw this banner that said, you know, edify Waterloo, finish the work God has given you. So I'm like, Okay, I guess I'll be here. And from 2019 to 2022, I embarked on this diversity, equity, inclusion. It was something at my job and like the doors like opened up Mm -hmm. and things started to happen. Same thing with coming to the Salvation Army. And I feel like everything that I had been experiencing since I either came to Iowa or just this entire time really allowed me to meet every requirement that was necessary for officership. But I mean, I still had reservations because I I still had my own desires of 
mm-hmm. what I wanted to do and where I was living and where I was born in my life. But I could not ignore that part. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Salvation Army officership, it does require you to change your life because you have to leave your job. You have to leave things behind, your dreams, your the things that you love sometimes to take that step of faith and follow God's calling in your life. So just paint the picture for us. What was going on in your life at that time that you were like, I have to say goodbye to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even before that part, I had always wanted to be debt free. And I remember God had really placed it on my my heart that like he did not want me to be in bondage to anything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. So I decided for my 34th birthday, I wanted to be debt free. I, I didn't want any debt. So from like June to my birthday, I paid off all my student loan debt. Oh, wow. And then even leading up to that, ever since I left Texas, I feel like I only moved places where I felt God called me to. Mm-hmm. I came to these places because I felt like this is where God led me. And I wouldn't leave until I felt like God wanted me to. So this idea of leaving and for officership being appointed in places that you might not know, you might not know anybody, you might be by yourself and yeah. still having to serve God in those moments. It's like, well, I've been doing that for the last 12 years. You know, that's something I've been doing. And then when it came to leaving my job, it was a little tough because I love teaching. I love teaching social work. But I felt like when God switched it to like diversity, equity, and inclusion, I felt like he was saying now it's time for you to teach the word. Now it's time for you to teach. Like teaching is still your spiritual gift. I haven't changed that up, but I'm changing the focus. Now it's time to put all of that experience into being able to connect with people because you've been teaching sociology and social work. You've taught thousands of students. Now I need you to use those personal connections and that knowledge to then go teach and preach the gospel. Yeah. During the process, I realized that my identity was in teaching, being an assistant professor in the community and in most places, if you tell someone like, you know, yeah, my assistant professor at college is like, oh, that that's impressive. Yeah. And it was like, so if I'm not a teacher, what would those responses be like? Like, what is what is my identity? And, and I was like, your identity is only in Christ. Right. And if it's in anything else, then you're depending on that. And it's fleeting. You could lose your job. Then what? Mm-hmm. Then who are you? But if it's rooted in Christ, no matter what happens around me, what are the circumstances, I am a woman of God in spite of any of that. Yeah. Before I had decided to do officership that August, I had purchased a home. My best friend's mom had passed away last year in June, and her funeral kind of triggered feelings in me that I did not expect. I've, mm-hmm. I've never been around that much grief before, and I think mm-hmm. it triggered me And I went into like a two-month depression. Like it was literally nonstop manic depression, manic depression. Wow. And the home that I purchased was actually a lady that I worked with. And like the moment I walked into her house, it was the first time I felt peace in two months. I saw like my life kind of flash before me. But most importantly, I felt God's spirit in that house. And when I'm in manic, you can have impulses by. And I said, Lord, if this is an impulse, don't allow it to happen. But mm. if this is of you, then allow it to be smooth. And it did. So the idea of doing officership, I knew I would have to sell my house. Yeah. And I literally had only been in the house 
four months before deciding to officership. And it was like, I love this house. It was my dream house. It literally had everything I ever wanted. I remember I had a pity party for like a day and I remember kind of praying about it. And I remember hearing God's voice say, like, I will give you many houses. Yes. Like, oh my gosh. let this go. You know, I was like, okay. So I did. <laughs> as soon as I let it go, I put the house on the market, you know, that Friday. And there were, there was moments in between there that I would even try to sabotage it. Like even when I walked away from my job and I gave my letter of recognition, I was still trying to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I can do this internship and I can be an adjunct. Like they need me. There's no other social worker here. And I remember that very day, a lady called me looking for classes to teach. Oh. And I was like, oh, he just really wants me to be all sold out. Like I can't do nothing. <laughs> And within that day, I found two people to teach all my classes. So job is done. There's no attachment there. Even with the house, um, there was one open house. I I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I was like, oh, it's cold outside. No one's going to come. I called my realtor. I'm like, you sure you want to do it today? She was like, yeah. Like, why wouldn't I do it? I'm like, you know, it's cold out. No one's probably going to come. She was like, honey, if you don't want me to do it, I won't do it. But let it go, Shatara. So I was like, yeah, do it. And that day, the most people came wow. for the open house and an offer got made that day. And I was oh like, gosh. when you move out the way, <laughs> God's blessing will happen. And the house was sold, you know, so that and then sometimes I I, I definitely don't doubt it. But I, I realized that in my flesh, I still try to hold on to what I thought my life would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to mourn a lot of things, you know, losing my identity and my career and what I've been doing for the last six years and what I've been doing collectively for 13 years. Um, I was dating someone at the time who I thought was who God wanted me to marry and be the father of my children and realizing that, I mean, the deal breaker is, is, is he interested in ministry? Does he love the Lord the way that I do? And if not, I need to let this go. And that was hard for me because in my mind for the last five years, that was my husband. Like that would be the person I have children with. Like Mm. everything was wrapped up in that. Letting that go was extremely hard. Um, it was, it was very difficult. Am I willing to be all sold out? And as long as I'm serving him, I'll be fine. Yeah. And that's what it really came to. So, yeah, that's amazing because it is a, a, like you said, you had to mourn those things, but that faith that you have, like just to say, okay, God, let's just, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find, like you said, like those feelings kind of coming back up sometimes, do you ever question is this really what God wants me to do? I would say for me is I'm just all in. Because like I said, I feel like wherever God has sent me, I have been taken care of. I'm provided for. Like, um, But there are times where it was like, is this it though? You know, because I do get a lot of pushback from, I mean, it's kind of hard to date once you, in my opinion, you decide I'm going to this two-year program. After that, I'll be sent out wherever they tell me. That's, that's a very hard conversation to have with people who are interested in you. Yeah. But I get pushback from family and friends sometimes too, because it's like, you know, you always seem to be very independent and now you're going to let a random person who's deciding my life. And I was like, that's not it. These are people who are anointed by Christ and I will take that over anybody else. Um, So there's definitely times where it's like, you know, Lord, I'm going to continue to be 
and, and continual prayer. But I would say for the most part, I mean, it, it's a done deal for me. Like, I, I feel yeah. like I have his blessing. It all makes too much sense to not think yeah. that this isn't the route. Yeah. And if I was to think it's differently, that's just the devil. Yeah. Get behind. Yeah. <laughs> you have no power here. I love your story. It's, it, you're an inspiration to me, to a lot of people I know that are listening out there. I know that there are people who are identifying with your story. Maybe not even the call to officership. Although if you are, if you are considering <laughs> that, this may this conversation may be the Holy Spirit speaking to you right yeah. now. So you may want to like uh, go pray. <laughs> Right now, um, and seek that like, out. Just seek him. I always tell people, knock on doors. Yeah, you know, there's a process that happens after the decision. The decision right. isn't the all of all. You still have to go through a process. Yeah, and doing that process, just pray. Um, you know, God, if this is for me, open it wide open. If it's not, make it impossible for me to go through it. Like there will be complications. There will be barriers. And I, I am a believer that if God doesn't want you to do something, he will make it impossible for it to come to pass. And if he does want you to do something, it will be hard to ignore him opening the opportunities to lead you to where you want to go. Mm. Yeah. And like you said, you know, sometimes we do run into stumbling blocks. Satan is very active and he wants us to doubt. Yes. He wants, he puts those boulders sometimes in our way of doubt and you do question sometimes, but I will tell you, I know that grieving is real. And and even in these situations, when you have to say goodbye to things that you dreamed for or wished for, or you didn't even know that, that God provided for you, but God just, he answers our prayers, you know, when it's right, it's not easy. His following his will is not necessarily easy, but it's right. And he provides for us what we need. And you, you are a living, walking testimony of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I came to the Salvation Army, you know, as an African-American person and a female, like my walk with Christ, I don't feel like I've always had like-minded people around me. Even when I would be in churches, there's always this great divide. I'm either with very young people or I'm with, with you know, um, older people. And it's very similar here, but the connection is different. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in churches where I've been extremely active, but maybe I've only been to maybe like one person's house or I even talked to maybe one or two people outside of the church. It just becomes this routine. Like you go there on Sunday, you go there for ministry, but you're not creating relationships outside. It doesn't feel like family. It doesn't feel like home. But I feel like when I, from the first day I came to the Salvation Army, it was like, well, I stood out. Mm-hmm. I was definitely <laughs> new. I came to Sunday school and then I came to church. Yeah. But, you know, but immediately after that, it was, it was like I had been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, that second day felt like two years later and not just right. my second day of coming to service. It was instantly like hugs. Who are you? Yeah. We want to know more about you. Please come to this. It's so great that you're here. And it was like, where have these people been all my life? And then <laughs> and then I, I came to like young adult night and we did like a Bible trivia with like charades or something like that. And I had the most amazing time. And it's like, I'm not used to people, whether my age or not, feeling like everything that we do, especially if it's church related, 
Like it's fun. It's it's an exciting life. We're not just stuck in a corner just praying all the time. Like we have a good time together. And people always think of that of me. And I feel like in my experiences, that's what I'm used to. Like you just go to church, but you have no relationship with people outside of that. You know, and since I've been part of the Salvation Army, that's not it. I went to women's camp. I meet people. We still um, talk to each other. You know, even in my church core, we go walking together. We go to farmer's market together. Like I've never experienced that in any other church. They instantly want to invest in you and get to know you. People generally are interested in your well-being and they want to love on you and they want to share the love of Christ with you. That is beautiful. I'm so thankful for your core the way they came around you. And let's give a shout out to Shannon and Martin and Thies. I just love them. I, I've known them for a while now, and they're just some some really great people and great officers for that matter. Great pastors. I'm so grateful for that. Shout out to too. Like, and you the know, sta- yeah. An intern, like, it's the same thing. Like, they don't know me from nowhere. Yeah. And instantly it was like, please never leave. Like, we enjoy you. <laughs> like, it's like... That's you so know, good. it's the same thing that emulates what we do on the ministry part, mm-hmm. but in the social service, like more of the work part, like it's a family here. Yeah, We're concerned about each other's health and family and kiddos yeah. and, you know, we're involved. So I appreciate it. I'm very grateful. That's awesome. Shatara, it's really great to get to know you. I'm excited. I'm excited for the future of our army, knowing that you are coming to be a ordained minister uh, in the Salvation Army. I think that our future is bright with you on our team. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. All right, absolutely. And I, and I pray that whomever is listening today, whether it's the call of office or just a call to Christ, that they pay attention and they let him lead. Amen. Amen. What a fantastic conversation. I'm so grateful for Shatara. And thanks for listening and sticking with us. I know that it's a lot, and I know that some of the things that we talk about are kind of heavy, but again, I really feel like God is working through this, and he is speaking to people even right now as they're listening. So we're not done yet. We still have a couple more interviews to do in this series on grief and exploring all different types of grieving. But that's all for today. Again, the Prepare Podcast is a production of the Salvation Army, USA, Central Territory Women's Ministries Department. And as we end every podcast, I truly hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. And I'll see you real soon. God bless you guys. Mm